Never say goodbye. Never say goodbye. You're me and my old friend. You don't bring me flowers anymore. We're coming to America today. Been in winter. I can't remember the words, so I'll just make them up and run <clears throat> what a day for a daydream What a day for a daydream boy Alright, I am back Dream of a bundle of joy What a day for a daydream Yeah Dream about my Leyland Joy. He's off in England. Watching so, all the bill off of his soul. <laughs> hey, hey. Back to the bin. Bill, you want to bring it in? Oh, man. Well, I'm not a bringer-inner. Yeah, I'm yeah. bring it in. You are so lazy. Well, well, well what episode is it? Well, let's see. What episode? Who cares what episode it is? We haven't <laughs> given an episode number in like two years. I know. That's why we lose track. We don't know where we are. We're, we're getting close to 300, aren't we? Yeah, we are oh, getting very close to 300. You know what we should do? I wonder if we should do Frank Miller 300 for episode 300. Just really go, go crazy, go nuts. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm that's showing, I'm showing you did 280 is the last one you put out. Yeah, but we yeah, have... There's, uh, there's, many... there's a whole bunch in the can. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> Hello, everybody, and welcome to I Back thought to I was Bench. bringing it in. <laughs> Go ahead, bring it in. Go ahead, bring it in. Let me Hello, everybody, it. and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Bill Robinson. <laughs> they call me Back to Bill. Are you finished? Are you finished now? I don't know. Wasn't that you? No. It sounded an I, awful lot. I don't sound like that. Yeah, you yeah, just did. I don't sound like Bill Robinson. <laughs> I can't. You're making me cough even just hearing that. It's so funny that I cough. <laughs> <laughs> it's Hello, so funny I died. Welcome to Back to the Bins. Episode blah 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 blah. Sorry, we had some distortion there. This is episode whatever the number is, and uh, I am joined tonight by my one of my regular co-hosts. Uh, I think he's called whatever a producer. Yeah, I almost said doctor producer. <laughs> no, that's producer doctor. <laughs> Paul Spataro. Hi, Doctor Bill. Hi, Paul. And with us tonight is a special super duper. Guest star, Mr. Warlock, Thanos himself, Al Sedano. Hello. Welcome aboard, Al. Thank you. Thank y'all. So I'm going to give everybody kind of a breakdown of how this how this is working here. We are currently recording this, and we're in the midst of Assistant Editors Month. 
So the first week out of Assistant Editor's Month is going to be the Guardians of the Galaxy score episode. And since Al, since oh, Al does the Warlock and Thanos Resurrections podcast, and we'll plug that a few more times before we're done here, uh, we thought he'd be a good guy to have on for the Guardians 2 score episode. So I invited Al, and he very graciously said, sure, I'd love to come on. And then Scott Gardner got called away on assignment, so we're recording this episode now. We're going to do the Guardians episode next week, and when you hear these... Assistant Editor's Month is going to end. You're going to hear Guardians, and then you're going to hear like, probably like seven or eight more episodes before you hear this one. And that's just the weird way that we record. Yeah, you'll hear confused. a Oh, well. Yeah, you would have heard a Match Game episode. Whole so bunch this will of stuff. be the prequel to the episode that Al is on next week. The prequel to the sequel. Which will be eight weeks ago. Right. Oh, my head hurts. When will then be now? I don't know. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> maybe tomorrow, maybe yesterday. I don't know. What am I watching? This is now. What? Everything now is happening now. <laughs> that's a that's the I, I think it's my favorite scene in the movie. That is a great scene. So b- before we before we actually get into the all of this. Wait, 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 wait. Like said, Russell, Russell, that was from Spaceballs. Okay, buddy. <laughs> all right. All right, we can move on now. So before we get into any kind of details here, uh, I, and I said we're going to plug it several times before we're done. I just wanted to to ask Al about the Warlock uh, Thanos podcast because well, well, wait I wait before we get into that I I got one questions one question yeah, you know what why don't you just interrupt me and ask your question because yeah. my question doesn't matter can I call him Al <laughs> I'm sure Sorry, he's never ahead. heard that before yeah just like never. I've never heard warning warning danger danger Will Robinson yeah mm-hmm. well if you want to go song titles I as a kid I was called Alfie so oh, well you What's know what about exactly. Well, my birth name was Alfred, so yeah, I'm right there with you. But oh, yeah, that, is my, that is my name. Oh, oh, hey, a fellow Alfred, yeah. Hello. Alfie the Wonder Dog. <laughs> oh, so you're not Alfie. Okay. I was Alfred. Alfred. Oh, God. So well, now it's only my mother calls me that. They could, in, in, in the Robinson household, Bill is short for Alfred. No, it's okay. short for, for, you know, ah! Do this, do that. So, so anyway, it's your pay the bill. Now, as, as we were talking about before we started the episode itself, I've, I've always been kind of a, a big Warlock fan as a kind of a niche thing. Uh, but it is a niche thing. He's not really, you know, one of the core characters in Marvel by any stretch of the imagination. And while Thanos is one of the core villains, uh, it, it is a very niche podcast, which I oh, enjoy yeah. very much. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to hear how how that got started. Uh, basically, I well, I listened to way too many podcasts, and eventually, I started going. Well, instead of just having these conversations, you know, saying no, you're wrong about this, or but what about this thing in my head? Maybe I should actually just do one and put the conversations out there. And you kind of like look to see, well, what do I want to do? What can I do something a little different? And I'm like, well, I always liked Adam Warlock. You know, it was like one of the first things that really. I mean, not one of the first comics I ever read, it was, but it was early on. It was one of the first ones that kind of was like mind blowing, especially reading those uh, late '70s Starlin issues. Mm-hmm. And this was right around the time of Infinity Gauntlet. You know, Thanos, you know, killing half the universe with a snap and being God. You know, so I was like, "Oh, Adam would work." And kind of by doing the, it started as just an Adam Warlock show initially. Yeah, because I that's what I remember listening to. was just Adam Warlock show, and I I, I was wondering when you hopped onto the. Th- you know, when you brought Thanos in, in into the mix, because unfortunately, 
I screwed up my iTunes and I had lost a bunch of podcasts and I I had so many I couldn't remember exactly all the ones I had subscribed to. Sorry. Hey, I, I have a list at this point <laughs> to keep track of what I have to listen to next. Yeah, well, what happens for me is there's because I, I like to listen to a lot of different shows as well. And there's just not enough hours in the day. So what I have to do is I just have to kind of pick and shoot, cherry pick. And if stuff sits on my queue for too long, sometimes it ends up getting deleted unlistened to just because I can't. But uh, I've just yeah. accepted that I'm late on I'm behind on everything. So like you mentioned Shag earlier before we started talking. I'm on Fire and Water 52 is the next one. Will I ever get caught up? Probably not. But mm. whatever. Doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. But. I just can, I can just only have so much in my queue, and after a while, it's like, all right, I, I have to clear some stuff out. Oh yeah, I still have a queue of things to add on once something, I something ends. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so we started as a warlock podcast. I actually started as a solo podcast, and then started talking to John Wilson. He was like, I'll do some warlock stuff with you. So I had him come on, and my one friend Brian Zeno, who I actually know from college, he had did for a little while a Sergeant Fury podcast. And he was also on a show called Podwits, and um, I got him to join me on the Thanos annual that came out a few years ago because Adam was in it. And then right. we saw that Starlin was doing that, the first of those uh, Thanos hardcovers because it had Adam Warlock in it. And we just kind of had so much fun doing the Thanos. It's like, well, since the majority of the stuff that he did was has Warlock and Thanos, why not? He's going to be in like half the show anyway. You know, we're just really not doing a few other appearances and like the Captain Marvel stories, and that's a cool story. So, what the hell? Well, it's as we were talking about. It's it's your podcast, so you get to decide what the content is going to be. Exactly. So I'm like, what the hell? Throw them in there. You know, there, there is an element of all of this that we have to have fun doing it, or it's no point. There's no point. Yeah, exactly. So it's like if I want to do a random episode, like I did, where I we go, well, Adam's going to be in soon, you know, with the coming back in with the High Evolutionary. So let's do a two-parter of the High Evolutionary Man Beast so we do their origin first. So what? Right. Well, it's, it's, all, it's all tied in, too, so it makes sense as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, some so of, the, this, some of mm -hmm. the newer stuff you do I listen to, but I haven't read. The older stuff, I've read everything. Yeah, so right now we kind of jump back and forth a bit. We're going to be finishing up the uh, Captain Marvel Thanos Cosmic Cube story and then getting into the Jim Starlin Adam Warlock. And then for some newer stuff, we're doing just not that it really takes place in a particular era but just for the fun of it the deadpool thanos mini <laughs> and then brian and i are going to be getting back to the uh jim starlin thanos hardcovers i don't really like to do anything too new so i'm not doing the thanos ongoing yet because i like to be able to at least know what's happening so if it affects what we're talking about now we know what we're talking about and over the years there's been so many appearances between warlock and thanos that there's there's still a ton of things you can do to let the stuff that's coming out now get old Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and once we get to the 90s, forget it, because they exploded everywhere. Yeah, with the Infinity Watch, and because you know, yeah. that's where I, I was getting a lot of those. And all those crossovers, and then afterwards, you know, he's Thanos is in Thor, Thanos is in Kazar. Well, those those were the Thanos clones. Eh, still Thanos. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I think Jim Starlin was actually like, really? Really? You yeah. took Thanos and you let Kazar defeat him? It's like, no. <laughs> We, we have to explain that. This, this, he, that was a, a Thanos Doombot. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the fun of being able to do it like that. So we know already he's a Thanos clone, and we could just kind of read the story with that, knowing yeah. that. You know? But yeah, we're going to be doing all the eight. I'm going to do all the 80s issues where they just appear as a flashback, just for the hell of it. Now, from a <laughs> uh, collector point of view, a book that I had never owned, but I always saw the cover, and I thought it looked really, really cool, and I always wanted it. And I just picked up about two weeks ago. Uh, I was in a comic store and they had it for 10 bucks. It's a little sun-worn at the top of it, 
but I got uh, Marvel Premiere number one. Oh, nice. I was, I was very happy with that. Like I said, it's a cover that I always really, really liked and wanted it in my collection. So now after, whatever, 40 years, I've finally gotten a hold of it. Yeah, the first one of his, the earliest thing I have for them is uh, Warlock 2. I have that. I, I've recently been piecing together my Warlock books, and uh, I, I've, I've started some, some back-issue collecting that I had kind of stopped. It's, it's a, I, I always say we're recovering collectors because you never, you know, it's, it's, it's like an addiction. Oh, God, but, yeah. Uh, I, I, I've now, like, gotten into looking for, you know, mostly 70s Bronze Age stuff that I don't have in my collection. But I'm always looking for it on, you know, on the real bargain end of things. You know, a dollar, two dollars when I can. And I've picked up some issues of Warlock that I either didn't have or had and for some reason didn't don't have any longer. And, you know, I'm reacquiring them. And I've, I've gotten a bunch of different ones like that in the last couple of months. So I'm closing in on a lot of stuff there. Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm getting now. I mean, I read comics still, but it's mostly digital because I've gotten too many over the years and don't have enough room for the ones I have. So they have to be I'm selling them off. But it's like, okay, I'm collecting just the books for the show. Mm-hmm. You know, at least I've, a, I've a, and now it's kind of more fun actually because it kind of goes back to like when we we're first starting and you're like just looking. You know, you only like the only read one or two comics yet, so that's what you're looking for and you're hunting for that as opposed to just well, I've read pretty much everything. Right. You know, and I'm just looking for, you know, oh, you know, here's a 50 cent bin. Great. I'll just kind of grab like 80 of these. Well, well, see, our our thing is we do Marvel, DC and Independence. And generally we try to do things at least 10 years old. So that's I'm not looking to buy anything that doesn't fit that description. Yeah, that leaves leaves about a million books I could buy. (laughs) Exactly. That's all. But everything else, I mean, I still read new stuff. It's all digital. Often I break that rule, though, so. But I, 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 do, I should be breaking uh, the habit of buying, though, because one day I'm not going to be here anymore, and my children are going to say, look at this load of crap he left us with. <laughs> Just put it on your Viking funeral pyre. Yeah, that's all. Well, that's why I'm trying to sell the ones now while I can, so at least I get the benefit of it. <laughs> I'm, I should, I'm, right- too, I'm too lazy to. I should, I should take everything in my collection that came out 1985 or later, or somewhere around there, and just start bundling them and selling them on eBay. Oh, yeah, that's what I do. Or the ones that actually I think are worth it. I'm send. I started sending the CGC. You know, I just sent them in a Walking Dead one. Oh, did now you sent it in and you're waiting for it, or you've gotten it? I sent it in literally two days ago. Do you have any idea where it's gonna rank? Where it's gonna grade? I don't want to jinx myself. I'm hoping at least above nine because I mean I was looking at it. I didn't see any creases or anything. Uh, sacrilegious. And we need them. Uh, I mean, slabber, I, slabber. Oh, I have. I might have no interest in buying them because, like, what's the point of the comic if I can't read it? But you know what? I have it. I read it already. I bought it digitally cheap, so like, I you know, I have it to read again. I, it's mm. taking up room, and it'll make some money that I can use to you know, go on vacation or pay help pay the mortgage or something. Yeah, and if you you know if you're gonna slab it, the sooner the better because it's not going to get in better condition. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not for like collecting just the slab ones. I mean, hey, if you like that, cool. That's the thing. Someone likes that, so why not? Everyone's when, I was at, uh, when I was at New York Comic Con last year, uh, or two years ago actually, uh, I was handling a slabbed copy of Amazing Fantasy 15, and I thought that's a book that if I owned it, I almost wouldn't mind it being slabbed because I'd be afraid to sit there and read it. Yeah. I want to own it. I'd love to own it. But I'd be but afraid to be paging through it and, whoops, I accidentally teared it. <laughs> you yeah. know, tore it, rather. Uh, so I'd, I'd rather be slabbed and I'll, and I'll work off a digital copy. 
Exactly. Oh, wait, New York Comic Con, was that 2015 then? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was last year I went. Oh, cool. I didn't see you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, it's so sparsely packed there. Yeah, really. Yeah, I've gone the last, I don't know, maybe six years or so. Yeah, I've went the most of, like, the last several years. In fact, oh, I dragged my... What? What's What's that? I was saying, in fact, I dragged my wife to it one year. Just, you know, well, she, well, not dragged, she offered to go with me. And then we were going to do stuff in the city that night. And that's actually when I, she kept yelling at me before we, we weren't engaged yet. You better not propose a Comic-Con. And I didn't. <laughs> I proposed after. <laughs> now, how, how deeply does she uh, tolerate the geekiness? Because from what I understand, she's not a geek herself. Um, well, not for comics. But, I mean, other things. I mean, you talk Harry Potter, Doctor Who, Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um you know, a lot of stuff like that. You know, Buffy, Angel. All right, that's not too bad. You know, she just never got into doing comics. Hmm. Sounds I mean, she's... like somebody who wouldn't necessarily be opposed to reading something, though, if you said, hey, this ties into Buffy or whatever. Maybe. I can't guarantee, but maybe. But, I mean, like, you know, she likes a lot of the movie. you know, some of the movies. I mean, she likes Iron Man, you know, Iron Man, Thor. She likes watching Supergirl. Oh, so now, like I said, this is going to probably come out, whatever, two months from now. So Guardians of the Galaxy will be in Guardians of the Galaxy Two will be in the rearview mirror at this at that point, but as of yesterday, again we're talking time travel now because as of yesterday I bought my tickets to see Guardians of the Galaxy Two on the Thursday that it opens. Ooh, nice! Oh, what are you in that fancy uh, auditorium with the seats? Yeah, with the, the recliners. I I'd probably go to sleep just because <laughs> I'd be too relaxed. Well. <clears throat> The, I think the recliner theater is what makes it possible for me to go to the opening day on something like that. Because I really don't have the patience anymore to go there and stand online to maybe get a seat and see the movie, but maybe not. Or even to buy the ticket, and if I don't get there early, I get a shitty seat. Yeah. I mean, I do, there is a nice thing about going, oh, I'm in G11. Yeah, that looks like a good spot. I'll, that, I'm fine with that. Yeah, from what I've seen so far in, in the recliner theaters, there aren't too many spots that are a problem. Even even the front rows aren't so bad because once you tilt backwards all the way, you're not craning your neck the way you do at a you know at a a conventional theater. Yeah, where well, you're sitting like five feet away trying to trying to see the whole screen. Last time I remember too big. that happening for me was my son and I went to see the first Captain <clears throat> America movie, and we got there. Five minutes later than we wanted to, and we ended up in the front row. Ooh, which kind of sucked, but still was a great movie. So, well, yeah, I, I love that movie. But yeah, Guardians, I probably won't see opening night. It depends. I'm waiting for the uh, music list to come out. Kim was not a fan of the music in the first one. She's like one of the few people in the country who weren't. <laughs> so it's I, oh, the we'll music list out. Oh, it is okay. I can yep, check yeah, I just saw it today on on Facebook. I was just gonna try and punch it up now. So no, that'll determine whether or not she'll go. I'll go with her, or I'm just going to go on like one of my days off in the middle of the week where I, you know, hit the matinee by myself. Trying to be okay. trying to be faster than, than than Paul. The set list is Mr. Blue Sky by Yellow, Fox dun, dun, on the dun, Run dun, by dun. Sweet, mm-hmm. Lakeshore Drive. I don't know that one. You do. You just. It, I didn't know it either I don't until know I name. listened to it. I was like, oh, that one. Okay, the it's one of those songs. Back. Yeah, she likes that one. I know that at least. Bring It On Home to Me by Sam Cooke. Southern Nights by Glenn Campbell. Southern Nights. Sorry. You know what my memory of that song is? <laughs> In the 70s, after the Brady Bunch went off the air, when they had the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, 
And I remember whatever the actor's name who played Greg singing that song on the Brady Bunch Variety Show. Oh, wow. Is that the one Fake Jan? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it was either Fake Jan or Fake Cindy, because one of them, they had fake one of them in that, and then they had fake the other one in uh, when I think the the Brady Bunch uh, drama series in the like around 1990. It was like the Brady Wives or something? No, that was another one. Oh, the, uh, it, the, that was in sometime in the 80s, they did The Brady Wives. And then around 1990 or so, they did The Brady's, which was like a, a, a drama series, almost like Dynasty. <laughs> of course, because when you think drama and, you know, things like that, you think The Brady Bunch. Of course. Mm. So from there we have My Sweet Lord. Oh, great song. Brandy. You're a fine, you're a fine, what a good lie you will be. Come a little bit closer. And that one I can't remember. Come a little bit closer, you're my kind of man. Okay. So big and so strong. Jane the Americans. See, I can do it. I can make you sing whatever I want. Wham, bam, <laughs> shangalang, mm. surrender. Mommy's all right, daddy's all, all right. right. You see it so close, you can <laughs> scare the band. <laughs> uh, father and son. Cat Stevens. Hmm. Flashlight. Parliament. I don't offhand. And the last one is written by uh, Gunn and features a guest spot by David, by the Hoff. Yeah, Guardians Ooh. Inferno. And that's the set go, list so far. I'll have to go through that after her later and see if she uh, likes the music or not. I'm not really liking it as much as the first one, though. I don't know. There's so much stuff they could put in there. So I, I, that music is like has a real sweet spot for me, so I know a bunch of music from that era. I think it also depends once you see the movie how it hits with the scene. Yeah. Because that'll that'll affect that too. How much you enjoy the song, you know, how much you enjoy it with the scene. So yeah, that's in the true. soundtrack later, it associates with that scene. See, they could want, like, I mean, since they're in space, they could put uh, what is the the song? Your your love is like oxygen. You get oh, my sweet. Hot. Yeah, exactly. Well, they got another sweet song, so I guess I guess that's good enough. They should have worked the Partridge Family tune into it. Oh God, the Partridge Family. Come yeah. on, get happy. Or doesn't somebody want to be wanted? Or I'll meet you halfway. Uh, sorry, I'm not that much up on the Partridge Family songs there, buddy. The only one I know is I Think I Love You. <laughs> that's that's the biggie. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, wasn't that his solo song? Or no. was that a Partridge no, that Family was, one? No, that was the biggest uh, uh, I Think I Love song. You. His, his, I think his biggest solo song, and I liked that music at the time. I'm not ashamed to admit it. But, uh, I think his biggest song was a remake of the song Cherish. Hmm. Didn't know about anyway, that Anyway, it's all comic books. Oh, yeah, those <laughs> things. Nothing about 70s music. Yeah. 70s, 80s music. Love 70s music. But, uh, so I asked Al if, where he wanted to go, and he decided to go traditional. Since he has the DC book, he's going second. I have the Marvel book, so I will go first. And I chose for my book Captain America and the Falcon, number 150, from June of 1972, when some of that music was big, and it was a had a 20 cent cover price. Has a cover by Gil Kane, or it's credited to Gil Kane, John Romita, and John Costanza. Costanza. Yeah, I don't know if if because uh, I I thought Costanza was more of a letterer, so I don't know if, if he actually inked it or if he did the words on it. I'm not sure. I hope you could explain this book to me, because I was a little confused. Well, I'll do my synopsis and see if that helps you to understand it at all. The cover is from the era where the art was limited to a box on the cover with text around it, and it shows an image 
of a character who appears to be the stranger, only with dark hair. He's in space where there just happened to be two bottles, very large bottles, that Cap and Falcon are breaking out of. And the text says, trapped in the bottles of death by the new super powerful stranger. (laughs) It looked like they're... It looks like they're breaking out of the bottled city of Candor and they killed everybody <laughs> in yeah. on the way out. <laughs> we can breathe in space. It's okay. <laughs> just, I just haven't had these bottles floating around in space. Q sweet. Your love is like oxygen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and I like the new super powerful stranger because, you know, the stranger was such a street level character to begin with. <laughs> yeah, really. You expect Captain America to be fighting him. I mean, exactly. well, what did he did he use like Grecian formula? That's why I'm a little confused. Well, yeah, I'll, I'm going to give you my synopsis now. See okay. if it helps you. Story is titled Mirror Mirror, written by Jerry Conway with art by Sal Buscema, inked by John Verporten, and lettered by Artie Simic. The splash page has the Stranger among cosmic energy appearing amidst Captain America, the Falcon, and Batroc the Leaper. Turns out that Batroc was hired as a mercenary to kidnap children on behalf of the Stranger. But it was done under some type of deception, which has outraged Batroc in his sense of on-air. So, the stranger uses his power to paralyze the heroes, Batroc, and Batroc's brigade. At this point, we have the big reveal that the stranger is not actually the stranger, but a a dude named Jakar, which I always knew to be some sort of a cologne, but apparently it's the guy's name. That's He's what I was thinking survivor. of. Oh, wait, What's sorry. I was, I, I was whistling the stranger, sorry. No, I was just thinking, that's exactly what I was just thinking of. Jakar. Jakar. Jakar Noir. Exactly. I used to wear that. He's, he's the last survivor of a planet that's in another dimension where a cosmic catastrophe has left everyone else on the planet effectively brain catastrophe. dead. Sorry. I think they actually used that words in the story. I don't think, I, I don't think that was my alliteration. But everybody on the planet's pretty much brain dead, and somehow Jakar survived this and observed the stranger and came up with the plot to impersonate the stranger and steal children from Earth to have their souls inhabit the currently lifeless husks on his world. Get all of that? Yeah, uh, okay, yeah. that's kind of what I got out of it. I, but I, yeah, I, I, I thought at first he was the stranger, but then he like shunted the stranger, like, I don't know. I, no, I thought no. maybe at one point he, like, swapped places with him. Apparently he was the, never the stranger. He was just impersonating him. Because then I could looks, figure out what happened to the original stranger. Yeah, he just looks just like the stranger, except 20 years earlier, and wears the exact same clothes as him. Pretty much. Mm. So having exposited enough, Jakar transports away with the children. Cap lets loose and punches Batroc right in the mush. <laughs> but, he, but But Batroc escapes because Batroc's brigade of mercenaries distract Cap and the Falcon. <clears throat> Batroc traps, tra- excuse me, Batroc tracks Jakar because his sense of honor demands it. Falcon has red Wing tail Batroc in turn. Now is the point where we need some sort of romantic pathos to ground our story. And so we visit with Sharon Carter and Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine. It seems that the Contessa had been flirting with Cap in an effort to make Nick Fury jealous, which has pissed off Sharon Carter. So the Contessa Wait, 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 wait. I gotta stop this right here. Just so you know, when I did that noise, my wife was walking by, and she stopped, and she looked back at me, and I gave her your your uh, your look. That's the way. 
And she gave me another one. As soon as we're done, Dr. Bill's getting left. <laughs> Sorry. So, so the Contessa apologizes, but then says that she's in love with Nick Fury and Steve Rogers. It's some sort of a sicko love triangle that this greedy bimbo has in her mind. And so, what does Sharon do in response to this craziness? She forgives her. Somehow that doesn't seem very realistic to me, but what do I know? I've never been well, in love with two men. Well, that makes sense. I mean, when you think she's just, you know, either flirting for the hell of it or being a tramp, then you're going to be angry at her. But as soon as you realize, oh, it's actual real feelings and you might actually have a chance of stealing, you know, you might actually want to steal my boyfriend away for real. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's real love. Oh, okay. Well, maybe they, maybe, uh, you know, Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine was hoping for a, not a love triangle, but a love quadrilateral. Oh, sorry. It is the 70s. So, so Winging, baby. We, we get away from this subplot. We return to our heroes who followed Red Wing to Jakar's lair. They come in to find Batrock immobilized. But, surprise, it turns out that it's not Batrock. For some reason, Jakar entered into this elaborate ruse, which results in the two bottles from the cover coming down and trapping our heroes exactly where they were luckily standing. And we see that Batrock is in the third bottle prison. Wait, so was it, with this, wait, was it, was it Jakar the villain in Aladdin? Oh wait, that was Jafar. Sorry, sorry, I got, I got my fars messed up. So with his prisoners safely encased, Jakar moves forward with his evil plot to kidnap souls. Yada yada yada. The Falcon <laughs> finds a way to use his his talon to short circuit his tube and cause mm-hmm. a small explosion, mm-hmm. which breaks it open without harming himself in the slightest. Surprise, my Oh. <laughs> he ducks a Jakar blast, which conveniently breaks open Cap's tube, and the two set on the attack, which is ineffective until Cap frees Batrock and uses a bank shot of his shield to whack Jakar upside his head, followed by a double punch by Cap and the Falcon. But then, getting just a bit cocky, Batrock takes a blast to the chest. The heroes put up a valiant fight, but they're clearly overmatched. Somehow, Cap manages to use a view screen to make uh, visual contact with Jakar's lifeless wife, which fills Jakar with guilt, causing him to bring his plans to an end and free the children, even the heavy-set one with the checkered pants. Jakar de- departs, but not before hey. forcing Batrock one more time. And so, having re-re-disposed of the monster, off go our, goes our hero, where Sharon meets up with him and tells him about Val and how she's in love with him. And as we close out, the hero is hugging his woman in a bare-chested, manly kind of way, but the danger om- ominously lurks as they are being watched on by the Scorpion and Mr. Hyde. Do you ever get the feeling you're being watched? Ah, people! Hey, I got checkered pants. What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> Nothing, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> Just, it, means, it means the car's not taking you. <laughs> Did Batrock always have the big bushy beard? I just remember the mustache. I don't remember the, uh, the like twelve, the like Unabomber uh, beard he's got yeah, going. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure he always looked like he was on Duck Dynasty. <laughs> yeah, I remember him just having the mustache, but okay, so it wasn't just me. I'm just like, that wow, just man. Been a fashion choice of the moment. But yeah, Jakar. okay. So what this, a what this, a wimp. This was pretty. Pretty far out stuff that Jerry Conway came up. This was crazy. I was trying to read this last night. I'm getting tired. I'm like, I I can't follow. What the hell is going on here? All right, so it wasn't just me. 
it wasn't one of the easier books to synopsize just because it was like, okay, how do I say this in a way where it's going to make sense and, you know, with any luck, be slightly entertaining? Well, so, it's the best it could be done, I think. So, like, the so like the stranger slash Jakar freezes him and makes him trans, everybody transparent? Hmm. Yeah, when, you, when you're frozen, you're transparent, apparently. It's like, what? Yeah, and I like, like you said, I have to impersonate Patrock to make them walk in here because they weren't going to come here anyway. Yeah, why don't you just set up your big bottles and, and stay Jakar? Yeah, just let, just don't let them see you and just have it fall, come on them when they're not looking. But then again, I feel like that scene from uh, Austin Powers. Dad, let's just shoot them and get it over with. Yeah, really. <laughs> no, no, no. In, in, we'll just set them on this thing and we'll trust that they're going to get killed. No, I'll go with plan. Don't worry. We'll go monologue for a while. We're all good. Yeah, I, I looked up Jakar on uh, Wikipedia and he actually does have other appearances. Hmm. Really? But, but much later. I'm looking to see if I can punch it up again here. I mean, does he just like appear in like a, you know a panel or two of Quasar as like a prisoner somewhere? Because I know Mark Rimwald used like a lot of random cosmic characters like that. I, I think he may have been used in a similar. Whoops! Finish. I pulled up J- J- Jakarta. Jakar? Whoops! Apparently, you can get some good hotel deals in Jakarta. Yeah, on anyway. Marvel, Marvel uh, database, uh, they say he has six appearances, and they are. And he apparently comes back in Captain America, America's Avenger. He's in Quasar number 14. He's in Cosmic Powers Unlimited. Mm. Oh, and one of the appearances that they have for him is in the Marvel uh, handbook. And yeah. another appearance is apparently the issue before this when he, you know, when, when they still think he's the stranger. So there's only three potential actual further appearances. And how, how in-depth they are, I don't know. Aliases, yeah, I, Stranger Imposter. <clears throat> yeah, I, I remember, like I said, I remember those early days of Quasar, there was a lot of, like, random cosmic characters who appear for, like, a panel or two. Figured well, he appeared I, there. I just clicked on the Quasar issue, which is number 14, and, they you know, they list the characters. And this, the antagonists are listed as the Overmind and the Stranger, and Jakar is just listed as other characters. He's with oh, several other people there. Well, yeah, so I assume oh, he, was not, he was not featured. Overmind and the Stranger are always going after each other. I remember them in, uh, I think, the uh, Defenders book. Yeah, and if I, I remember it... right, when they first appeared in, uh, when when the Overmind first appeared in the Fantastic Four, uh, it was revealed that he was the embodiment, collective, embodiment consciousness, of a whole planet or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think like... The Stranger was the collective embodiment of a different planet. Right. And somehow he went from that to being an elder of the universe. Somehow. And I Jakar think that... is. Oh, sorry. Sorry, go on. I was just uh, just reading his entry. It says Jakar is from another dimension. He is he bitter enemies with the stranger. How can he be bitter enemy with the stranger? And plans to defeat him and take his place. Jakar has no powers of his own and uses advanced technology to achieve his goals. He dresses like the stranger and makes himself appear to look like the stranger. His true form is slightly less human. Huh? Whatever. Yeah. Um, I think Sounds that like he's are... obsessed with the stranger. If you ask me. He has a. He he's loves... like a stranger fan. <laughs> he's his number one fan <laughs> but yeah I think that Quasar story ends with like uh, the there's a whole bunch of char- random characters who have been taken by the stranger and Quasar brings them back to earth I think like it's two of them are like the, of them. yeah I think he, that's probably why they mean other characters because I'm thinking like one or two of the Anti-Men from like Count Nefaria like Dragonfly mm-hmm. I think was one of them uh, the second Red Guardian 
Whoa. Sorry, I just found a picture of supposedly his, his true form. Yeesh. What does uh, that look like? Uh, I'll uh, I'll put it in the uh, put it in the chat. That's gonna that, that's very descriptive for our listening audience. Well, I'll put it in the chat and we can all help describe it. It kind of like he's got a big derp face. Derp, 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 derp. Is, he, is he like Goom? I, I, kind of, yeah. Hi, I'm Jakar. There you go. Hey everybody, I'm Jakar. Oh, he does have a derp face. <laughs> I got some bad teeth. I still have a Batrock mustache. Whoa. I would say he looks similar to the gargoyle from the Defenders, only with hair on top of his head and a uh, Batrock mustache. mustache. And really jacked and, 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 teeth. And, and, yeah. and Austin Powers teeth. He's he's in dire need of some periodontal work. God, yes, he is. But he still has that mustache. You know, good for him. Yeah. His wife was, considering what he looked like, his wife was pretty good looking. He definitely went over his... I don't know. That says that's his true form. He went above his station. Way above his station. God, yes. He kind of looks like a worse version of Sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> yeah. Guys. Sloth's ugly brother. <laughs> no wonder he wants to look like the stranger. I hate you because you're pretty and I'm ugly, but I just died well. Beauty's in the eye of the stranger. So look into the book a little bit, though. Uh, I like the Sal Buscema artwork, and I like the... Uh, John Report and Inking. I, I kind of like the artwork overall. I'm not crazy. I'm not sure who did the coloring. I'm assuming that's Report as well. There's nobody credited. But I'm not crazy about the coloring. It looks like it gets a little sloppy at times and a little rushed. A little, you know, not, not a lot of creativity going into it. I do want to say, I forget, who did the lettering again? Do you have that up there? or? Yeah, the lettering was Artie Simic. I like the fact that when they actually, when the tubes go on them, Cap and Falcon's were balloons get tiny because it's muffling the sound because they're behind these big things of glass. Like, that was actually a cool little thing I noticed. I'm like, oh, yeah, they'd actually would be quieter. That That is kind of cool. <laughs> I, I like when they when they can do things like that, when they actually pay attention to what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's not they a huge had, thing, but... They should have had the stranger going, what? What? I can't hear you. <laughs> like Pee Wee Herman with a big ear. <laughs> Look, Cap, what? if you don't want me to take these kids' souls, say something. Huh? No? Huh? It's okay? Okay, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, that is that is like one of the dumbest schemes ever. <laughs> not only, I'm not going to kidnap the kids and have them populate my world. I'm going to kidnap them, then I'm going to rip the souls from their bodies and put them into these brain-dead bodies, which I don't even really know what caused them to become brain-dead, so odds are I'm not going to be successful in any of this, but, you know, they're only kids, who cares? I think it was a cosmic catastrophe. And I have, you know, only six or seven of them. That's enough to repopulate a species in a world, right? Yeah, it just needs a little bit. A little bit of soul. Put a little soul in your heart. It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, you got to remember, too, Jerry Conway, when he started writing comics, I think he was like 19 years old. Well, he yeah, was a kid. he's young. And this is early, very early in his career, so he was a kid when he wrote this. Not, not as young as Jim Shooter when he started writing Legion of Superheroes. But no, no one was just the same. Oh, here's one thing. Did you guys look at the letter column at all? I didn't give it any real notice. Is there any, any interesting letters? Well, the thing I'm curious about, because I didn't get a chance to look it up yet, is someone has like a little you know, <laughs> nitpicking thing about the Grey, gar- about the gray Gargoyle. Mm-hmm. And he talks mm-hmm. about the Grey Gargoyle's previous appearances in Silver Surfer 27, Tales of Asgard 3, and Groovy number two. I have never heard of Groovy. Is that well, it's probably one of them 
Marvel well, was throwing out all types of magazines at this time, so... Silver Surfer didn't have an issue 27. Ooh, that's what hmm. they say. I mean, that's a, the guy says here. Now, it could have been a typo, but... I, and I Tales of Asgard, I, I don't know about this letter at all, though, because, first of all, I have no idea what Groovy is. Uh, Silver Surfer only went, I believe, 18 issues at this point. Then in, in the next volume, next full volume, it went, whatever, 100 and something issues. Yeah. But the the original Silver Surfer series only went 18 issues. Tales of Asgard was a backup feature in the Thor comics, and then I believe they were collected in one issue, Tales of Asgard number one, and that was it. I, I wonder if there was a two or three. I wonder if this is like one of those fake letters, maybe, they made up just for the heck of it. And I wonder if it's, I wonder if whoever did it, if that's the case, purposely put in misinformation to see if anybody would notice. Because the yeah, answer... Yeah, it was only 18 issues, yeah. Because the answer for them, they say, well, Gargoyle's power changed in Patsy Walker 158. And I was like, Gargoyle girl appeared in Patsy Walker? Yeah, no, I... I... There's something going on there. I had not read that letter, but now that you pointed out, there's something very wrong about it. It's the last letter on the letter page. I just remember like skimming them just to see if I saw like anyone's name. You know, like you read these early ones, and sometimes you're like, "Oh, it's a letter from Don McGregor or well, Gary yeah. or something." It's from a guy named Gideon, wasn't? <sighs> Gideon Smith. Yeah, well, there was Gideon. There was in the, in the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and wasn't yeah, but didn't he? Wasn't his son the Shaper of Worlds? Or became his the shaper. Eventually of... became the shaper of worlds. I wonder if that's. What... I thought it was shaper, or was his son a uh, Glorian? Actually, no, the shaper of worlds. The shaper of worlds was a a. Uh, Glorian. His son became was, Glorian. Was a cosmic cube that got sent sentience. Yeah, was, Glorian was. Was the a Gideon's son was Glorian. Yeah, the gold skin guy with the rainbow powers. Yeah, Doug Henning. But but this this <laughs> maybe the first letter might be from a superhero, Gary Fishman. Maybe like a villain for, against Namor or something. <laughs> Fishman. Smack you with my I'm cock. Fishman. Well, what's your superpower? Well, I got these gills. So that lets you, like, breathe on water and on uh, and in air? No, no, I, I got to be in the water all the time. <laughs> so but if anyone does you it, do wrong. it, you got super strength. Can you, you know, you can handle the, the pressures of uh, being under the sea? Well, no, no, I kind of got to just float gotta, close to the top. I got to stay shallow wind. Like, you know, I can't go I got out so like, If you have one of those little kiddie pools, I'm good. <laughs> I get tired. I get the bends. I gotta. I have to have the little swimmies on just so I don't go too far down. <laughs> so that last page, uh, you sure that? I apologize Hyde? to Gary Fishman. <laughs> I mean, I thought maybe that was like Werewolf by Night, possibly, but I guess that could be. That's probably Mister Hyde. Yeah, you're right. Oh no, it's no question about it. It's just, it's this. Now, is that the same Hyde. character? What what was his name here? Zabo. Zabo. What was the guy? What was Kyle McLaughlin's character in uh, Agents of Shield? He was, was it Zabo also, wasn't he? Yeah, Calvin Zabo, Zabo, one of those two. Yeah, yeah. But that is one, his first one name. Thing, one thing about comics, you know, and the way they present New York, because virtually everything took place in rats New York. Rats and garbage cans and open cans of Yeah, there, there were rats all over the freaking place. <laughs> Bottles in, in the alley. Comics. Open sharp, sharp jagged cans of food that you could step the on. The alley is only about maybe four feet wide, too. Yeah, get, yeah. you get a tetanus shot, you know. Ow, I stepped on that open can. It had a rough edge on it. Man. <laughs> Come on, Scorpion, you got to take me to the hospital for tetanus shots. <laughs> we'll attack Cap later. She just seemed to grab his leg like uh, like my dog barking, like Peter Griffin. Ah! Ah! Oh, man, I ripped my cape. <laughs> i got to go home and get the other one. We're we'll finding Captain you America. Were... I want the good one. 
These two pervs now, watching they, Cap make out with do, his girlfriend. Do they know that's Captain America? Or are they I just think so. I think at out? this point his identity may have been public. That mm. I don't know about. But I mean, to be sure fair, they're just looking. I mean, depending when they got there, all we see is him just standing topless. He's just a guy in pants. It could be just by coincidence that they that they're going to attack a you know just random citizen, and it turns out to be Captain America. And Sharon, I'm not is sure. Shielding. I don't Maybe they're after her. Could be. All right. Uh, either of you guys have any specific notes about anything in here beyond what we've talked about? I don't think so. Uh, Jakarn gives back. up too way too easily. I mean, after well, he, he's guilted though, because because no. clearly he would eventually overpower them. <sighs> guilted. They, they they got him on the ropes, but they weren't getting him. They were they weren't getting him out. I mean, who yeah, hasn't he, seen a cold dead stare from their wife? Whoops, I spoke too soon. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone not married? None for Doctor Bill tonight. Yeah, you just you just ruined it. You, you got it with the growl, and now you just send her the other way. Ah, she never heard me. That's why I podcast in another room. <laughs> That's wise. That's why I, I podcast on the other side of town from my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we should. Uh, I guess we should rate this one because we got two more books to cover. <sighs> so, uh, the cover conceptually is just weird. They're floating out in space like this. How they're breaking out, and Did you say you did the cover? Uh, it's credited to Gil Kane, John Romita, and John Costanza. See, I see the Romita. Maybe the I, I see, see the Romita. I see the Romita in Cap, space. and I see, I see the Kane this, this, in, the in the Stranger. Yes, I see that also. And I see the Buscema uh, and the Falcon. But Buscema wasn't credited. On this <laughs> oh. I think it's a Busema. No, he's on the interior. I didn't want to be left out. <laughs> Although that does look a little bit burnish. I don't know. I'm seeing John Byrne everywhere these past few episodes. Doesn't he look a little uh, John Burnish? Who, who Cap? Or yeah, yeah. On the cover. Uh, I don't know. I don't I, see it. I don't know. Maybe I got like... I see more Romita in there. John Byrne in my eyes, like sleep or and, something. And while, while I see Romita in the Falcon also, I kind of see what you're talking about al anyway so not, not to to insult your your take on it oh why not uh, don't worry al you'll get used to it he does it to everybody <laughs> usually i get to know you a little longer before i start getting nasty um i'm not crazy about the way it's inked there's a lot of like the feathered inking like look at the stranger's right leg oh yeah it's almost, almost like the joe hubert and i like joe hubert stuff but I, I don't like the faux joe hubert well yeah it's the faux it's joe like, uh, faux joe Fojo, Srojo, Mojo. Yeah, well, it's kind of like um, uh, Perez. You know, it's Perez is good when it's Perez. When it's not Perez, like look at Nightwing's original costume or most costumes designed by Perez. They look great when he does it. And you give it to any, mm-hmm. almost anyone else and you're like, what is this? Who thought of this costume? <laughs> I mean, yeah. or, or if yeah, you remember, I um, agree with him that. what was that bad? Bloodlines, that DC crossover. Mm-hmm. When you look at the aliens were designed by Art Adams. You look at those pictures, you're like, oh, those are cool. And then you read the annuals, which were not drawn by Art Adams. And you go, never mind. Right. So, yeah, you know it's like a that nice... Oh, sorry. You know, it's a nice touch on the cover. You see that? at the bottom by the Falcon's foot and then up at the top of Caps, there's a little glint of, like, 
shining light off of it. You, you see it like a little. Yeah. Oh yeah, I see that. That, that is nice. That, yeah, that's like it didn't need to be there, but I think it adds a little something to it. Little attention to detail. Yeah. Now, what are these two tubes attached to? Because there's poles that go up above them. So they're coming poles. from somewhere. Uh, what, and, the what is, and what is Jakar standing on? He doesn't have to stand. He can just levitate in midair. He's, in, he's standing on Kirby Crackle. Yes. He's surrounded by that. That is a nice purplish Kirk, uh, Kirby Crackle. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's a Kirby generic version. <laughs> so overall, I think the cover's a little weird, but I always kind of liked it. So I'm going to give it a B-. Uh, the interior art... I think is, like I said, the biggest problem I have with the interior art, there is occasionally some of that feathering on Jakar, uh, which I don't really know why that's there. And then the coloring, like I said, looks sloppy, especially on Batrock. So, but otherwise I like the interior art. And I'm going to say, I'm going to also say a B minus on that. Story-wise, this is just out there, but it's, it's almost got like the Silver Age kind of feel about it. Um... I'm going to just say a C on the story, and overall I'll give it a B minus. Mm. Uh, for the cover, another thing I like on the cover is how Jakar's foot sticks outside of the box that they're supposed to have, The you know, like they're breaking out of the border on the cover. So he's got one leg out, his cape is kind of sticking out, his head is sticking out, and Cap's feet are sticking down into it from up above by where... Uh, where he's standing, you know, his normal figure to uh, one side of the logo. So uh, that and the little star glint thing on the light uh, on the on the on on the glass domes. Uh, I'm gonna give this. Uh, I'm gonna give the cover a B plus. Um, inside, it's sometimes Jakar is like really. Where is it? It's like the one where he start first starts to go into his big long mo- mo- monologue. Why did they like draw black ink down the center of his face? I think it was to, to try and make it look moody and dark. Uh, yeah, but you know what I'm saying, right? It comes like right from the top mm-hmm. of his hair. It's just like somebody blopped like dabs of black ink right down his nose onto his chin. I, I know it's supposed to look like shadowing, but it just kind of looks silly. Um, uh, the interior art, I'm going to give the interior art a B minus, C plus. And the story... Um, well, we got a little love quadrilateral and um, some crazy, just crazy craziness. Um, I'm going to give the story a B plus. So that makes it a B book for me. All right. Al, you feel comfortable giving it grades? Yeah, I can do that. Let's see. Cover. The cover is the part I'm actually liking the best. It is. I mean, there's some little. That was the part I like the best. F. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing it's I know it's a lot of people don't, but I mean, like I kind of I guess when I first started looking at comics, like these older ones, even though there might have been at the time like only 10, 15 bucks or 20 were way out of my price range. So these comics, especially with like these big in the seven, mid 70s, the big borders always mm-hmm. held a fascination for me. So I'm always entertained by those covers. For some reason, I don't know why. Don't ask me, but I do I think like you and I are in the minority, my friend, because Chewy and Paul don't really like the box covers. So it's a pretty decent one. I've seen a lot better covers, though, for that. The, the, there's a little bit of, like I said, there's a little bit of wonkiness of the, with the fake stranger on the cover. And although it doesn't bother me, though, I do wonder where those tubes are leading to. I know maybe they're just attached to the top part of the cover. God knows. But mm-hmm. I'm going to give that a B plus for the cover. 
because it's still it's dynamic it's cool you know cat fighting the stranger let's see what happens and then of course you go inside the get his ass handed to him oh, sorry. Yeah. the artwork inside at least you can follow the story and Sal Buscema especially in the 70s is still pretty decent mm-hmm. you know this is not his best one and sometimes it seems like he's trying to cram too much like Conway gave him this crazy plot and he's like how the hell am I gonna fit all of this into one issue but he somehow made it happen anyway. And if you're not reading it, if you're just kind of looking at the panels, at least it does kind of make sense. So just on that, I'm going to give that a B- minus for that. The story, however, is kind of headache-inducing. I mean, yeah, it's the 70s, and we understand, you know, there's always certain concessions for these older stories. But some of them still are like, oh, look, this man, this monster, awesome story, despite whatever mm. year it came out in. This one, you're reading this, and it's like, look, unless you're the college kid reading comics in the 70s who's baked out of his mind— Wow, man. Which which did, I think, account for a lot of their audience. Yeah, and I think their creator, some of the creators at that time, too. Yeah, so true. Um, I'm going to give the story a C-. minus. <laughs> so I guess, what is that? B+, plus, B-, minus, B. So I guess it's a B- minus total. No, C+, plus, C+, plus total. He was going to take their souls, man. But he was beat by the mindless stare of love. Whoa, <laughs> dude. It's an okay book from that time, but really, there's a lot better I could read. Oh, yeah, no question. No question. This is just, you know, chugging along here. This isn't one that's meant to be... I don't think this is one that's meant to be read 40-some-odd years later, but... No. Here we are. Too bad, Jerry. We're still here. He's done some other good stuff, at least. Oh, Jerry Conway's done some great stuff. We've yeah. covered a lot of his stuff over the years, but... This is one of his more forgettable stories, I would say. But he also did a lot of stuff back then, so I'm, I would not be surprised there's a lot of books that he just churned out over a weekend just to get it done. Yeah, probably. I could, I would say that this is likely one of them. All right, we might as well move on to our DC now. What do you got for us, Al? Okay, well, if you thought that one was confusing, <laughs> forget that. <laughs> we have Commandy number 59. Which, now, is this the last issue of Commandy? Yes, it was. Okay. Apparently, by the way, spoiler, the people creating the book didn't know that. Ooh. Because I have to assume, because the book reads, and even the letter column talks about future things. I do remember that there was another issue beyond what was published. And at some point it was printed in some format in black and white, uh, you know, kind of and kind of still rough. But they did print it somewhere. I, I don't remember what cover, you know, what title it was printed under, but it definitely did come out at some point. And I just wasn't sure if this was the last one before that or if there was any another one, maybe. Well, but uh, I actually, please go ahead. I looked it up just real quick to go into that. Um, I know, oh no, that, uh, he appeared, they say he came out and canceled Comic Cavalcade number two. I mean, I don't know if that... There you go. I don't think that's, that's actually it. printed, but it's in there. So I think that would have been issue 60. So... Okay. There's, uh, well, the cover, which is by, hold on, where that go? By Joe Rubenstein and Jim Starlin. So I figured, why not? Jim Starlin, I'm all about Jim Starlin. Features mm-hmm. Commandy and Omak uh, apparently jumping for joy while shooting laser guns into the air. Did did Omak break his leg? Looks like it is. His, his right ah. leg is kind of twisted, kind of funny. Commandy, stop, fell. stop. It hurts. <laughs> he fell the wrong way. Commandy, mom told us we can't double jump on the trampoline. Ow, ow. <laughs> but yeah, they're shooting in the blast into the air, and the cover—the cover's just a, the background, just a big red blotch. 
with a bunch of uh, apparently mutants and uh, dog people running in the background. And Silver from the Middlemen. Dog police. Woof, 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 woof. Dog. Sorry. Wow, I don't know where I drummed that up. So let me bring that up here. Okay, so the writer is Jack Harris, penciled by Dick Ayers, inked by Danny Bolandi, color by Carl Gafford, letter by Milt Snappen. That's got to be a, a fake name. And the story Snappen to his new Slim Jim. Sorry, I couldn't let that go. <laughs> and the story's called The Wondrous Western Wall. Okay, I'm going to do my best to synopsize this. So let me give you the cast real quick because it's going to get confusing. We got Commandy, the last boy on Earth. Spirit, who I'm assuming is the last girl on Earth. Uh, Pyra, who is an alien girl. And then you have three dog people, Dr. Canis, and then the Sherlock Holmes and Watson fill-ins, Bloodstalker and Doily, or Doyle. Yeah, I'm going to go with Doyle. You got me. You got me. <laughs> so these six are on Pyra's ship, and they come up to the wondrous Western Wall, which is... A- I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to I gotta say it's got to be Doyle, because it's got to be a tribute to Arthur Conan. Yeah, okay. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Okay, and I like Doyle because that's my dog's name, so that works. Oh, so, yeah, it's just... So you love this book so much you named your dog that? Yes. Or the dog of this book imprinted on my brain so much torturing me I had to get it out. No, but did you did you spell it the way they did? D-O-I-L-E. No, we have a Y. Oh, okay. Named Whoa. it David Doyle. So Doyle, the dog, and Pyra have something going on? I don't know what's going on. Wow. Woof! Oh, sorry. You dog. You dog. Anyway, so the six of them are a pirate ship, and they come up to the wondrous western wall, which is a giant wall that stretches as far as the eye can see and up to the clouds. Supposedly behind this wall is the vortex, which is the unknown force which powered whatever caused the great disaster. And actually, before I get further into that, let me read off that little thing they have at the top of Commandy for anyone who doesn't know Commandy, because that explains the whole background of the whole series. And as I do that, the thing goes away from my screen. Okay. And there was a cataclysm over all the earth, the great disaster. And the beasts rose and spoke as men, and the men fell and were as beasts. But within the last human stronghold, Command D, there survived one true human, and to him fell the salvation of humankind. So that's Command D. World's been destroyed, animals are people, basically, and Command is the last human person running around. It's Planet of the Apes, only it's not just apes, it's all animals. Exactly. And originally, up until, I guess, a few issues before this, it was Jack Kirby. All Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. So we're at the Western Wall, and Pyra needs the power behind the wall to restore power to her homeworld, but they can't figure out how to break through this wall. Uh, using the instruments on her ship, she and Dr. Canis show that the lock on the door is radiation-powered. But before they can do anything, they're captured what appears to be kangaroo men, <laughs> and they right. use their super boomerangs to capture everyone and take them back to their camp. Crikey! And the kangaroo men are filled with Australian uh, slang. I mean, they speak like right out of a Crocodile Dundee movie. Blimey, there's more inside this medical contraption. Exactly. And from Dr. Kangas, we learned they're Dr. Canis, we learned they're called the Kangarat Murder Society. They are charged of preventing anyone from crossing beyond the wall. Uh, they're descendants of the locals, which is the kangaroos, and fugitive rats from the north. And they decide they're going to have a bolo contest to see who gets the honor of killing everyone. And so Commander uses that, and apparently Spirit has fiber-spinning power as a distraction to escape. Is everyone still following? Because I barely am. <laughs> as, be- as best as I can. Okay, so the group makes their way back to the wall, and Commandy's plan is to use Pyra's ship to go back to find the mutants 
who are apparently expelling radiation as part of their rights of Evermore. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What was that word again? Evermore? Is that no, no, no. right now? Radiation. I don't oh, know if he gets that. Okay. Oh. <laughs> That's a Star Trek he, 2. He's, he's channeling Scotty from Wrath of Khan. Oh, okay. I was like, wait, did I say it wrong? Just, just he said it wrong in the Dr. Bill world. <laughs> we just live in it. That's right. It's his world, exactly. So the plan apparently is to you go bring the ship back to them, which almost is out of power. Use their radiation to repower the ship to go back and use that ra- same radiation to open the wall. And apparently they're able to do that just in time before the Kangarats show back up to kill everyone else. And they open the wall. But then some mystic force pulls Commandy inside. The, the end. end. Wow. But pulls him inside saying, my son, which well, is probably the key cliffhanger aspect of it. Well, yeah. he may not necessarily be his father. He says, my son, since son. He may not be. He, but I he, think this he may mean that metaphorically. Yeah, maybe it's a human. I don't know. I've, I've read an issue. I've only read one issue of Commandy besides this, which was uh, still a Jack Kirby one. It's the one with Superman's costume on the cover. Mm-hmm. We covered that a long time ago. Yeah. That I could follow. This... What? Yeah. I, but the kangaroo guy's <laughs> ships bounced. They jumped. I know. I'm like, what the hell? Just because they're kangaroos does not mean their ship's going to bounce. We walk on two legs. Our ships don't walk on all two legs. Our cars well, no. are like legged things. I guess they would call those jump ships. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I, I found it fascinating that as they developed the power of speech, all these different animals, they also developed opposable thumbs. And clothing. And apparently, even though it's only six years after the Great Disaster, Dr. Canis already went to school and, stu- you know, they already developed schools because he discovered, what is it, he was studying primitive cultures. That's how he knows about the Kangarats. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, There's what? some weird stuff going on here. The one thing I found disconcerting but prob- probably correct... The one is thing? Commandy is drawn... What? The one thing? That's what I was going to say. Well, one, one, one thing in particular that stood out to me uh, was the way Commandy is drawn. Because as drawn by Kirby, you would put Commandy at probably about 19 years old. As drawn here, I think he's probably supposed to be about 13. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the art... Here's the thing. I was thinking about this before. The art on its own isn't bad. I mean... Dick Ayers, especially if, like, the big Vista scenes, like, with the big wall or, like, at the end, like, Dick Ayers does decently well, and you can see him, I can see how he probably would have been a lot better when he did, like, the westerns and stuff with, like, that big landscape, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like we were all saying before, he's trying to do Kirby, you know, I mean, this same book, if Kirby had done it, would probably be awesome, but it's like they're trying to copy Kirby, and usually if you're trying to copy someone like Kirby, you're just going to get a mess. Well, you, usually when people try to copy Kirby, they literally try and copy him. And they, they put the line work the way Kirby would, and it looks like a pale imitation. This doesn't have that feel about it, at least. Well, yeah, maybe not artwork-wise, but I mean, like, story-wise, it's like Harris is trying to copy a Kirby story. Or the Kirby way Kirby would have done Commandy, he thought. And it just feels like a mess. Yeah, oh, the this, this story feels like it's all over the map. Why did Jack like, leave? Did did he go back to um, Marvel at this point? Or yeah, this is about the time when he was doing uh, Captain America again. Oh, and Eternals. Captain America, Devil Dinosaur. Uh, what what else did the Eternals? Two thousand one. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, this is just bizarre. And then you, 
it's funny. It's like you get all these books from that time period where, like, every, like in the cat book where, you know, when the Countessa walks in to see um, Sharon Carter and Sharon says her whole name so we know who this is. They, but, they used to do that with that character every time because she had the long, you know, four name name. And they used to do it. And if somebody just called her Contessa, she'd say, please call me by my full name. And she would say it all. Yeah. They, that was like a running gag they had going. And here it's like the opposite. It's like I have no clue still who Spirit is. I'm assuming she's the last girl. Um, only thing she's... I know about her, apparently she doesn't wear many clothes because she's topless. And she apparently has fiber spinning powers. Is she a girl spider? Is that what that means? I mean, you should spin herself a top. I mean, she's able to make a radiation suit. She makes those radiation suits? Well, it's oh my god, she does. I'm... Well, apparently it's a mix of the gook that the uh, from the gun that they steal from the kangaroos and uh, her fibers. But yeah. I mean, like, what? Like, who is this? Give us something. I have no clue what's going on here. <laughs> and then the mutants are doing their right... Wait, what? Who? <laughs> mm. <laughs> you picked an interesting one. I could that out. Well, I actually had the file of it. I'm like, oh, what the hell? And I see, you know, oh, Starlin did something in there. Okay, cool. I like Starlin. But this story, I was like, what the hell? Now, I mean, I... Just, just for the sake of... Uh, of completeness there's a second story involving omac that starlin wrote and i think he just did the layouts i don't or the breakout breakdowns i don't think he did any of the serious artwork because it doesn't really look like starlin um and that's omac being reborn uh under uh i guess brother i who is severely diminished from where he had been in the original omac series yeah, because he got smashed by a meteor shower, and as you know, when satellites are attacked, you know, hit by meteor showers, they don't get destroyed; they just go into the meteors. Because mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that's a fact. That's real, man. But yeah, at least this story though, make this story I liked a lot better. It made more sense. Omac wakes up, but the riot calls him back to uh, where is it? Houston, which is under attack by the evil IC and C Corporation, uh, the global peace agency. Didn't they have for. a Didn't they have a music factory too? That was later. That's uh, when they split uh, off uh, the eye. Uh, oh, okay. Well, he's fighting the evil Scuba. <laughs> scuba doo doo Scuba and his evil minions. <laughs> I mean, you know, he goes back there. He protects the last guy from the Gold Peace Agency who dies anyway. And, you know, cliffhanger. Except that we find out apparently this is going to lead into Commandy. So I guess yeah, we kind of know Omac is going to fail. Buddy Blank, who's Omac, is apparently Commandy's grandfather. That's the... The oh, story okay. as I've picked it up. Oh, sorry, I remember hearing something about that. But I mean, at least the OMAC story, it's funny, like in three pages, and it made so much more sense, or four pages, whatever it was. But it made so much more sense and was more enjoyable. Because that Commandy story, I had to look over like three times trying to figure out what was going on and who everyone was and what was happening. I don't know. What did, what did you feel in those? Well, I kind of read it through, and I didn't have like a lot of time to read it three times. And I read it through, and there were a lot of things I was thinking, yeah, I don't really get that. But Al will explain it to me later. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) What did you think, Bill? I just skimmed it because I I didn't assume we were going to actually read this one. But uh, I like where he grabs the top of the tank, swings around like uh, the Hulk did in the Hulk movie. wonder if that's where Ang Lee got that from. You know, he takes it off. uh, Oh, yeah, and he he rips the top of the tank off. Yeah, that was cool. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. He's swatting them with it. Take that. Well, first of all, he crunches the barrel, looks like, when they're trying to shoot out. I'm sure that blew all that back in on those guys inside. Ah! 
He died a horrible, painful death. So this guy at the end, that's Buddy Blank, you're saying, Paul? Yeah. Where have I seen Buddy Blank before? Well, he, he was Omac in the original Omac series as well. Okay. Maybe I saw him in 52 years ago. I think that's very possible. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. I, I, I really don't like the way he's drawn on the close-ups of him, the way his, uh, his mohawk is drawn and everything. It's huge. When Kirby, drew him, when Kirby drew him, he didn't quite try and go as realistic on the face. So I'll credit the realism aspect of it. But when Kirby drew him, he looked big and imposing and like he looked like a tank. Yeah. This guy this guy looks, you know, lean and, you know, muscular, but it looks like the submariner with a mohawk. Almost, yeah. Yeah. So I, I I'm not crazy about this particular rendition of him. Yeah, it, yeah. Like I said, I mean, this issue was crazy. I was sitting there reading it, going, "Oh God!" Last night, going, "Why did I pick this one? Is it too late to change?" <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I, I I go with on this is, you know, I don't want to just pick out books that we like. I don't necessarily want to hate a book either, but I, I don't mind a book that we could tear apart and, you know, say, "Wow, that's pretty dumb." <laughs> you know, I don't mind doing that at all. No, then, then here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one positive thing I'll say, at least for the first story. Was it page 16, when their ship is, like, blasting the wall open? Good job, Dick. That looks actually... I thought that looked pretty cool. Where it's, like, blasting the wall to open it up, and you have, like, these big circles. It kind of looks like Havoc's power from the X-Men. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's not bad at all. But it's just... Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's I guess just I'll, convoluted is, I think, the word. Yeah, that's the word. It's just so convoluted. I'm like, what? It's like a five-year-old and, telling and, a story. And then, and then, and then... And then the kangaroo men came... And they got stuck in their own bolas, and they stole their ship, and they hopped away to the wall, and they blew it open. I'm just noticing throughout the story, you know, there's, there's a, a pretty young girl with no top on, and every time I look over, I see Commandy like, one of his hands on her. Yeah. He's claiming. He's like, no, no, no. You're the only girl left. Mine. 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 Yeah, exactly. Get your stinking dog paws off her. Woof. <laughs> All right, so I guess we can rate this one now. Al, it's your book. You want to go first? Okay. So, cover. I mean, I like Starlin, but yeah, this is not the greatest of covers. It's okay. But yeah, like, I, the first thing I see is like, what's wrong with his leg? Snap! Oh! So, I'm going to give the cover a... I'll be generous and give it a B-. minus. Uh, story, uh, D. And the art inside, actually, the art... Well... It's still, it's unfortunate, like the other one, like the other one I said, you can at least follow the, follow a story. This one, you still can't. But at least Dick, Dick Ayers did some pretty decent stuff in some of the parts. So I'll give that a C. So I guess it's what, like a D plus? For Command D? <laughs> uh, Ooh. I, yeah, I meant that. Yeah, I meant yeah. that. That was intentional. <laughs> um, I'd give the cover a B plus if his leg was straight. So I kind of give it a B minus because his leg's not straight. Um, other than that, I like it. The uh, I like the opening page with Spirit. Uh, she has some well-placed hair. And once again, like you said, Paul, Commandy's got his arm around her waist. <laughs> like he's always like, you know, don't touch her. Stay away. Mine. Uh, mine. Mine. Um, the, the opening shot of the wall is pretty interesting. 
although if not confusing because I, I guess uh, the alien fire girl later says that they don't have enough energy to go over the top of the wall I'm to assume that this wall goes off off I'm up pretty into sure space. it's between our border and Texas I mean and, and Mexico rather oh okay oh that's where that is <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the interior art uh, well why do kangaroo men need pants Baggy pants, too. They already, like, do they need more pockets? They should already have a pouch. Just saying. Um, so, I, the interior art, mm, I'll give it a, oof, I'll give it a C plus. And the story, I, you know, it's crazy and it's funny. Uh, I'm actually going to give it a C plus as well. So that's looking at a C plus, B minus for me overall. Okay, so the cover, I, I like the aspect of it that it's got Commandy and Omac on there together, which is just kind of cool. I just kind of wish they met in the story. Um, and I think it's a little deceptive because they don't meet in the story and the cover makes it look like they do. The positioning of the characters is just kind of weird, not only from an anatomy point of view, but just also like, you know, what they're both jumping in the air at the same time and crossing each other. I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this could easily be a B cover if it was just done a little bit more carefully. But it's. I'm going to give it a C, and I think I may be being generous on that. The interior art is very clean, which I like. It's not particularly dynamic, and I think that goes a little bit to what Al was saying about uh, Dick Ayers being more suited to, like, westerns and war stories. But, uh... It's it's not bad, it's not good, so I'm going to say a C on that as well. And the story is just... I'm doing my best to try and figure out a reason not to give the story like the lowest grades, just because it's so freaking weird. But I do think it's trying to go somewhere, so I'm going to just say a D on the story, and I'll give the overall a C-. minus. Alright. Uh, that brings us through our DC. So naturally, Bill doesn't have a book. Of hey, course. hey, I have a book! What? Yeah, in fact, you picked it out for me because <laughs> I'm like... Just, because otherwise you wouldn't have a book. I'm like, just pick one. It takes me forever to pick something. Just throw something at me and I'll do it. So what you got? Uh, well, I got what you gave me, and that is... I know what you got. I'm asking you to tell everybody else. Oh, this, is supposed to be like, this is supposed to be clever banter here. Mm, gotcha. The pitter-patter of little banter feet, so to speak. Anyway... I have Criminal Number One by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, and uh, never read any Icon books, so it's it's kind of an adult book, ooh, edgy, and it ju- and it just meets our criteria being from October two thousand six for this uh, for this particular issue. Uh, the cover, um, all right. This is what I saw when I looked at the cover. Does the guy on the front cover look a little bit like Leonardo DiCaprio? Actually, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't just me. Leo with a goatee. He, he, he does. I just don't know if it's intentional because I'm trying to think in 2006, would you draw Leonardo DiCaprio looking like that? Or is that more later? Well, you know, when more when was the, 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 the... I mean, he looks like a cross between Jack Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio. Kind of, to me. And it makes me think of that movie. What was it? The... The Departed? Departed? Yeah. I don't know when that is. Let's see. You keep talking. Okay, so 
On the cover is uh, the protagonist, I guess you could say, of the story. This is Leo Patterson. And we've got him in color in the foreground with blood all over him, holding a gun. 2006. Oh, okay. Well, it's when this came out. but. Mm. And he already uh, had been in gangs in New York as well. Mm. So either one of those could have went with that. Yeah, and we've got like a – like he's in the foreground covered in blood, um, you know, looking out towards us. And behind him is like a cityscape all kind of bathed in like oranges and reds and yellows with the uh, face of a young woman. Like like she's in the foreground, but she's almost full size. Well, what I mean is like it would be like the size of our head if we were looking at it. Got a huge head. Huge. Head, move. <laughs> be kind of that his huge pillar. <laughs> and, and uh, like, well, ah, ah, where's my notes? Oh, I slid them down here so I wasn't blocking the picture. Whoops. Hello. There we go. Back up top. Cover artist is Sean Phillips. Uh, writers is Ed Brubaker. Pencils on the inside is Sean Phillips. Inker is Sean Phillips. Looks like he did about everything. Except the colorist was Val Staples and Enigma. I'm assuming that's the lettering company. And the letters were also done by Sean Phillips. And uh, being Dr. Bill, I swiped part of a synopsis because I started to synopsize it and it was going on and on. And I was just like, oh, my God, I just can't do this. So <laughs> I took it into con. Yes. We, we, we don't want to go back to that. We don't want to, you know, never mind. We don't want to relive <laughs> that. <clears throat> anyway. The story begins 15 years after Tommy Patterson was killed in state prison. Now, Tommy Patterson would be Leo Patterson's dad. And five years after Leo, our protagonist, survived the disastrous Salt Bay job, which is uh, seen through the first couple pages of the book to where they were uh, wearing these white outfits and then with, like, animal masks and stuff and just white masks. And basically the whole, bu- uh, the whole deal went bad and Leo was able to get away uh, because he has a knack for avoiding trouble. Okay, so since then, since the Salt Bay job, Leo has been keeping a low profile as a pickpocket as he struggles to take care of Ivan, who I at first thought was his grandfather, and I don't know if he actually is, but this says, uh, says um, uh, as he struggles to take care of Ivan, who suffers from both Alzheimer's disease and an addiction to heroin, <laughs> which <laughs> he mentions to uh, one of the people in the story that you know, you know, they're saying, well, you should get him professional help. It's like, well, how would he even, you know, being that he has Alzheimer's, how would he even understand why he has a heroin addiction when he may not even remember he's addicted to the drug? So it was kind of, it was really, it was a little sad, actually. So, uh, oh, and also Ivan is like a lech who steals his nurse's underwear. Uh, but I digress. Leo closely follows his own rules for survival and... So he has a reputation not only for being brilliant at planning scores, but also for being a coward who manages to escape a bad situation. Oh, yeah. On our story, uh, our, our story is called Coward Part One. guess I should have said that before. <clears throat> Both aspects of this reputation attracts the attention of Seymour. Feed me, Seymour, who also survived the Salt Bay fiasco and a crooked cop named Jeff. They try to recruit Leo to to work an armored car heist, telling him that the police evidence van is carrying five million in diamonds. He refuses because he has a rule against working with corrupt police officers. But Seymour knows Leo won't say no to a woman named Greta. 
Van Susteren? No. A Greta, a recovering heroin addict who's working the heist to start a new life with her daughter, Angie. Leo eventually agrees to join the crew after speaking with Greta. He then goes to the neutral neutral bar called the Undertow, where cops and con, where cop and con alike hang out under a truce, looking for his friend Donnie, an epileptic con man. Finding him later, Donnie pulling a scam on the L train. The two talk, and Donnie is in on the job. Seymour tells Jeff that Leo is in for the heist. Jeff makes a call, and we see that the owner of said merchandise in the police evidence van wants it back, or Jeff's partner gets it as we see the partner gagged and tied to a chair. So the cop is really may not actually be crooked. He's just trying to do he's his partner's been taken captive and that's why he's planning this heist. So but I don't know where the story goes from here. So I don't know what happens. But I like this. It was interesting. It was like a good it was like watching, you know, it was it was it was crime noir. No superheroes. You know, it's drama. Good, clean fun. Okay, maybe not good, clean fun. But uh, you see some of the various heists and how uh, Leo is good at, you know, he's picking people's pockets all throughout this uh, thing. Um, What did you guys think? I thought it was an interesting read, but I didn't feel... First of all, I didn't really like the artwork very much. Mm. Uh, I I mean, it did have a kind of a noir feel about it, so I guess it does fit the book. It had like... But it just... It's it's just like a dirty feeling art. Well, yeah, um, but that fits the whole, you know. Yeah, it's just not my style. That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. It's not that it's bad. It's just not the style that yeah. I prefer. Um, the story to me reeked of this is the first issue of six issues that are going to be in a uh, trade, and if you're going to just read this issue, we don't really have a lot to offer you. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. I don't know. I thought we got a lot of setup for for the characters. Yeah. Oh, it's it's total setup. Oh, okay. That's that's what I felt the whole book was set up. Excuse me. Uh, I, I would have preferred a little bit more substance instead of just set up. You know, it felt like the first ten minutes of a movie. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it if you have the trade and you want it in my cut. Co- yeah. When it's one issue of a story, yeah, I, I'd like just a you know just a little bit more meat to it. I don't know. You know, sometimes sometimes that setup works fine for me to get in the band together kind of thing. Uh, and other times it feels like you know, like, well, obviously, like, like like it's the prologue. I think we know it's going to be easy to tell that somebody in this book that we've seen here now is going to die, <laughs> just just from you know being a crime story. They're all not. Something's going to go wrong. They're all not going to get a, get away with it. You know, maybe the cop's partner is going to bite it for some reason. Maybe the cop's going to turn on them all. I don't know. I, have you guys read any more of this? No, I haven't. Although, yeah, I agree with you. I, I have a feeling reading this, like, at least half these characters are going to be dead by the end, if not more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I just, like I said, I just feel like like there could have just been something more here. I don't know. I, I, I've read too many books that are of more recent vintage where you feel like the only reason the author is writing it is because he wants somebody to uh, to buy it as a screenplay. Mm. And, and I don't know. I felt a little bit of that with this. Yeah, I guess I could see this being a storyboard for a movie. Hmm. And, and that's it. It's, it's yeah. not bad. I don't, th- I don't think it's a bad story, but I think it really just demands that either you either you get the trade or however, whatever it is, six issues, or don't even bother. Yeah, I guess this it, is it, like, it, I don't know if this is five or six parts. 
And then there's another arc that takes over after this. Yeah, I remember Criminal ran for a little while, and it had like a couple different arcs, although I don't know if it had the same main character or not. So for all we know, he dies at the end. Mm. My understanding is the different arcs focus on different characters all within the same universe. Mm. Okay, I can see that. So I'm sure several characters get killed off. and So he's Coward, and, and the next one is about someone else. I mean, I did like some of the stuff about him, like, like you said, showing him doing the jobs, or like in the beginning where they show how he got away from that bank job. Where he had yeah, like the bike messenger outfit underneath. Yeah, he just unzipped his uh, his jumpsuit while everybody else just getting smoked by by the cops. And yeah, he just hopped on his bike and put on his little hat and shades and rode right right by the cops. And I can you see know. what you're saying, Paul, about the artwork. I mean, I like it, but like you said, it's not that it's bad, but it does have that dirty feel. And I mean, Sean Phillips, from what I've seen, is good at doing this kind of dirty noir. Like this is a we, this is a part of the world that we don't want to live in. I mean, these are people all trying to like basically get by by not doing anything, by not getting real jobs, and they're living yeah. on like the edges and the dregs. It's got kind of like the same. Well, when let me phrase well, it's the this. The same artist that did the Marvel Zombies, I believe. Right, right. But what I was going to say and, that it's and, got... and I like that artwork in that book. I felt it was much more fitting to that book. Mm. Well, I was going to say that it was kind of has the feel of. The Sin City books by Frank Miller, but not the over-stylized. Like, it has the same atmosphere, but not the camp factor to it. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, because it's that same kind of dirty world. It's kind of like if you ever read Hitman by John McCrea and Garth Ennis. Parts of it. I... I've, I've heard talk about those. I haven't actually read them. Yeah, Is it's that like kind of Tom Hinehan? Yeah. Okay, all right, yeah, because yeah, that's, that's right. I read the one where he's with the Justice League or whatever. Oh, the last two-part issue, the, yeah, that miniseries that came out after the series ended. Yeah. 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 Like it was kind of like that in that series. Like these were guys who just, you know, they thought they knew better and they weren't going to, you know, get these regular jobs. So they're doing all these crime or killing people or pickpocketing. And so they end up living in like these little dregs, you know, dirty bar, dirty, smoky bars, you know, rat infested part, you know, crappy apartments. So yeah, Sean Phillips does that well. But like you said, if you, Paul, if you don't like that, you know, not that it's not done well, but if you don't like that, yeah, you're not going to like this. Yeah, it makes it, it, you know, because it's not a style that I prefer, it just makes it a little bit more difficult to read through and and appreciate what he's doing storytelling-wise. Not exactly that. Um, I mean, I can see how you'd say, like, it looks like a six-part, you know, part one of a six-parter, which, I mean, we know it is anyway. Although I will say they did, st- I mean, he still did put a, quite a bit of story in for part one of the six-parter. I mean, this might be a six-part story, but the question is, when I get through reading all six, is it's going to be one of those ones where you knew they had a story, and they're like, oh, yeah, this will be two issues, but we need it to be six, so stretch it out. Or are they all going to be like this one, which is still kind of packed? I mean, a lot of stuff does happen. We get the flashback about this story, we, you know, about the uh, old bank job. He's, you know, he meets like two or three different people. I mean, I know plenty of series where this whole issue would have been two or three parts on its own. Well, yeah, because that's when I started to do it. I was like, oh, yeah, I should be able to, to sum this up pretty good. And, like, I did a paragraph for, like, the first few pages and then the next few pages. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is getting long. I said, let me see if there's something else already on here. Ah, yeah, all right, here's one I'll grab and just add a little to it to make it a little more meatier. <laughs> but I can you see know. what you're also saying about how it being a screenplay. Because, yeah, I could see this as a – especially the last page where he's calling the mysterious guy who has his partner captive. I'm you mean hearing... Luke Cage? 
Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm hearing uh, what's his name that played Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Bing Rames. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Like, I can see this as a Tarantino movie. I'm about to get medieval on the. Yes, that was a horrible Ving Rains, and I apologize, that, Mr. Rains. That really was bad. It was. We okay? No, we are not okay. <laughs> Me and Mr. about to live the rest of his short life in agonizing pain. <laughs> uh, who's Zed? Zed's dead, honey. Zed's dead. I can see this is a Pulp Fiction story. It, it. I could see it being in that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just see Mr. Wolf coming out. Oh, the wolf. Oak's nice. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious what the little bit in there where the guy shows him, uh, I guess the bartender shows him the comic, Frank Kafka, Private Eye. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder what, if we'll what's see the that. intent of behind that. I don't know. Maybe kind of like Watchmen, where you have a book within a book, where you have a story within a story, and if that's like like each issue, we're gonna see something. Or is this, I mean, from, from what you said about the description of the whole series, where, like, each story arc is about its focus on a different criminal or person in that world. And I was thinking mm-hmm. about, like, Sin City, where, like, if you read Sin City, you see... The other characters. In, yeah, in like, the, you, the, what was it, the, the Yellow Bastard one, the one that they adapt into the part of the movie with Bruce Willis, where he goes mm-hmm. to the bar and you see Marv sitting in the bar, and Marv's yeah. in the first Sin City. Is that like this, where we just see this... And then, like, in another story or two, we'll actually see a story about, I don't know, the guy who draws the book, or draws the comic, I mean, in there. That's possible. Or maybe, like, two panel, like, two, like, the next page down, the guy with the butt crack at the bar. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of of butt cracks. Yeah. Or maybe about the bartender. Yeah. Like, it'll come in more. Yeah, because his bar supposedly is where crooks and cops can come, and there's, it's like, you know, holy ground, Highlander, you know. And I guess you got that from the synopsis you read because reading the no, book, no, I, I got no. that just from uh, there was criminals, not cops. Well, no, it says uh, no. Uh, it's, I got that from reading it. Uh, that was actually not in even th- this bar wasn't even mentioned in the synopsis. I mean, I I put it in there. Uh, it says yeah, the, the undertow, and it says it's the same. Where was I? I know I read it in here. Okay, the undertow was our place. The criminal element started as a speakeasy way back, but then after a provision, never was loose. It was also considered a safe zone. Okay. You could find blood enemies side by side at the bar, mostly... Well, I mean, I took that as cops coming in there on bar most nights, and only on rare occasions did anything get out of hand. Oh, that could go either way. I don't know. I, I kind of see, see like... Well, well, maybe it didn't. Maybe it was just what I kind of read into it. Because I guess criminals could have blood enemies. But I, I took it more that you would have a cop. You know, you could have cops and cons there. Hmm. They drink together here. You know, later yeah. on they'll shoot each other, but not in here. Yeah. Just like in the Luke Cage. I don't know if you watched uh, Luke Cage on Netflix. Yes. So Pops was supposed to be neutral ground for all parties. Yes. I remember that. Or... um. What was that? In uh, when Warren Ellis was doing a lot of stuff for Wildstorm in Stormwatch, he developed uh, was a bar called Clark's, hmm. with a bartender who really looked a lot like you know suspiciously a lot like an older Superman. <laughs> Basically, it was like it was supposed to be for like metahuman standards, it was like safe for everybody. You know, you no fighting. Oh, cool. I would be interested in seeing this book if it was drawn by like one of other one of Brubaker's other 
art partners um, like Brian Hitch or Steve Epting or somebody like that who, who worked with him on Captain America because in that Captain America run they were pretty dark if you read those issues I'd like to see Epting Captain America. more than, uh, than Hitch. Uh, yeah Hitch is more Probably. for the big bombastic huge power blast you know yeah, I think Epting is, Epting is at, more of a noir kind of yeah. feel about him. Yeah, because that's but much cleaner than what we got in this book. Yeah, because that's that's the feel you get from those cap issues that he does. It's more personal. It's more street level than like the like you said, Al, the bombastic stuff that Hitch does. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I would like to have seen this book. Like I said, okay, and we'll we'll stick with Epting. I would like to see a, if this book had been drawn by Epting, what would it be like? I, I think it would have brought it up a notch. I'm always you know, up for it, stuff by Epting, so that's fine with me. <laughs> well, when I got to the front cover and I saw that it was Brewbreaker, the next thing I thought was Captain America. And when I scrolled down to the art, I was expecting to see like that style. And I'm, oh, it's, so it's different. Okay. Just because I've got the, you know, I know Brewbreaker's the writer, but I read so much of the Epting Brewbreaker run that it's just kind of like I kind of mixed them together now. Well, a lot of times they switched back and forth during the uh, cap run because neither of them could draw fast enough. Mm. Is that the cap and run? They also had. Uh, I'm sorry. What? I was gonna say, is that the cap run that came out not too long after 9/11, when like the chainmail, like was John Cassidy drawing all the covers, where like the chainmail really looked like chainmail? No, that was Cassidy and somebody else. That wasn't Brubaker. Oh, okay. Oh wait, no, Bru- oh no, that's right. Brubaker was Brubaker Winter did Soldier. Brubaker Cap and Bucky is yeah. Cap. And Winter Soldier start the Winter Soldier. Okay, never mind. I wrong series, but yeah, I read that one. Okay, I'm on the page. Yeah, I know now. what you're talking about with Cassidy. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the writer was. Then I'd have to look it up. Mm-hmm. But I know which one you're talking about now. Okay, that's right. Because I did read that run. Was Wade doing it back then? I don't think that was Wade. I could be wrong, but mm. I'm probably not. I usually am. Sure of yourself, are you? No. Okay. I just know that when you and I have disagreements, I'm usually right. Oh, my God. John, well, at least the first issue, John Nay Reber. Reber? John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt? What? That's my name, too. Okay. <laughs> actually, we can actually say that. <laughs> I think Al fits along nicely here. Yeah, I think he does. Oh, I feel bad for you, then. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so that, that's obviously not Mark Wade, but John Nay, so. I think he wrote John A. Reber, I think he wrote um Books of Magic. Okay. But that would make me right and Bill wrong, which is always good. Yeah, he did write Books of Magic. Okay. Shoot me now. Okay. Shoot me when he goes home. So do we have anything more specific on this issue to discuss before we rate it? Uh, I did like the cover. It kind of reminded me which is probably what they're going for, like uh, a lot of the seventies painted covers. For like for not covers, but painted uh, like movie posters. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what they were going. Which for. is what I think they were going for exactly, like the way like you said, like her head's in the background, but it's like the size of him. It's kind of like Darth Vader's head, and like a lot of like the early Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back posters, where his head's huge in the background, and all the other characters are small on top of it. Time to assume that that's Greta. Yeah, I would think. Who the I guess the guilt Greta's got on him is that. I guess her husband, boyfriend, whatever, significant other got wasted in the um, in the Salt Bay, whatever job. Well, it looks like he's the guy who's following him out when yeah, he's gets escaping blasted. from getting killed. Yeah, and he leaves him to die. Yeah, Terry Watson. Bye-bye. Boom. Well, you want to die with him? Oh, man. Hey, it's, it's gotta tough get, to do that gotta, if you're a coward. Got to get away. 
he who, you know, he who runs away lives to steal another day. Lives to run another day. Yeah. He's no right. he's no so, Jakar, that's for sure. No. Uh, we have a cologne named after him. You, you, you want me to rate it? Rate it. Uh, I like the cover. I like the cover. I, um, I don't know. It's kind of, you know, jumps out at you. Um, like you, like you said, it looks like the old movie. So, um, you know, like an old mo- movie poster. Um, I'm gonna give the cover. Hmm. Hmm. I want to say like B plus A minus. Maybe I'll just go with the B plus. And the interior art, I, I like the interior art too. I mean, may not be everybody's cup of tea, but. Uh, I'm going to give the interior art uh, a B plus as well. And the story is, even though it could be, you know, part of a screenplay for a movie, it's a movie I'd probably sit and watch. So I'm going to give this, uh, the, the screenplay, the, the story an A minus. So we're looking at like B plus plus A minus minus book coming up with new ratings. There you go. Okay. So. I like the cover, but I feel like, I don't know, it's just so monochromatic. Maybe it's because the guy looks like Leo DiCaprio. I don't know. Maybe that's why. I'm not sure. I'm not sure adding extra colors would make it any more compelling. In fact, it might take away from it. But there's just something about it that doesn't quite feel just right about it. So I'm going to say a B. It's it's really a really good rendition, but you know, it's not a not great in my opinion. The uh, story. Like I said, it left me a little bit... It, it just had a little bit too much of the feel of part one uh, or prologue. Uh, I, I kind of wish I had just a little bit more feel for where we're going. Uh, it almost... Like, I, I, don't, I don't really care if I don't read the rest of it. It's, I guess that's the problem with it for me. So, I'm going to say... I'm going to give the story a C. And as far as the interior art, if it was my style, I would openly admit I'd give it a higher grade, but just because it doesn't stylistically fit with what I like, I'm going to say a C on the artwork as well, and I'll give the book a C plus. Okay. Well, for cover, I was actually thinking the same thing you were. I like the cover a lot. I like the movie poster feel. Um, I was thinking about what you were saying, Paul, about the Commandy cover, where, like, you know, they don't appear together in the story, but they're together in the book. But at least something like this even if nothing happens on the cover, you can tell the way it's done that this is a whole symbolic thing. So you're not expecting what's on the cover to happen inside. Cause you don't expect the giant head to be there. Exactly. So like you, you know it's like, oh, it's the movie poster. It's just the poster for everything. So, But yeah, it is too orange. Like he's in color and that's great, but they need – like if she was that big orange and the city had its own like a different background color just to also help make her stand out a bit more, it would have helped. So I'm giving the cover a solid B because it is good. It's more the coloring than anything. Art inside, I mean, I do like Sean Phillips. I, I like the style. And one thing I'll say, he's one of the artists, you know, for these you know ma- more mainstream artists who can make talking heads not boring. You know, at least for me. So I like mm-hmm. this. I like the story. I like the art. I'm definitely going to give it a solid uh, B plus. And the story. Yeah, it, I mean, but to be fair, it is issue one. So that's why it kind of feels like the beginning, because it is issue one of story one, right? Because this is the whole first issue of Criminal. So yeah, I, no, I, I'm not even 100% sure my criticism is totally fair on that. Well, that's it how just, you feel. It's, it's a story. Know. It's not like you're, you know, you're judging, you know, is the, you know, is he following the uh, first rule of uh, first law of thermodynamics correctly or not? It's a story. You either like it or you don't. You know, it's 
Yeah, not like true. It's all subjective. Just because Gone with the Wind is an amazing Oscar-winning movie does not mean it does not put me to sleep and bore the hell out of me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I can't. No, I'll say yes. That's considered a great movie, but it, I'm not going to watch it. Just because your wife loves Annie. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I had to see Annie when I was a kid instead of uh, Iron Eagle. Ooh, that's a hard knock bad. life. I think that's what I think that's the movie we're supposed to go see. It was sold out, so they took me to see Annie. They should have had Freddie Mercury sing all the songs in that. No, no. But, <laughs> but I mean, so the art, I give it um, a B plus. Oh, I said that already. Our story, I give it a minus because I actually am curious to read the rest, and at least I feel like I did follow what happened, well, and it made sense. Of the last two books. Yeah, well, maybe it was fair because of that. Yeah, <laughs> after those two books, I'm like, I have a clue what's going on. <laughs> hey. But I guess total that makes it but a, a minus. Okay, fair enough. This is definitely a uh, a case of your mileage may vary. Yeah, if you like that kind of stuff, you'll like it. If you don't like that kind of work, you might not. Okay, and that's our three books for today. We have a do we have email bill or are we uh, do we have a surprising dearth of email lately? Um, well, we do, but. We have reached a email dry spot. There has been like no new. I'm pulling it up right now. There's been no new email since the Logan book. Wow, nobody loves us anymore. Well, no, we, right. we well we've got lots of like crap email. We've got like two pages <laughs> of unless I've just hold on, let me look. Yeah, usually I clean that out, but I just haven't gotten to it. I had somebody email me recently. I can just you know give them my give them my account number. They'll send me money. Oh yeah. Oh, it's just. Some sort of a state. Well, see now here. Uh, here's one, but I Nigerian don't know. Nigerian Prince. It's it was folded oh. from the two true freaks. Two true freaks at Gmail. But it was on March. I don't know if that's a real one or not. It's something about for review. It's an it's it's an issue. Oh yeah, that I forwarded that from the other page. Oh, that was that's uh, real. Yeah, that's real. That was somebody somebody sent us a, a book to review. Oh, and I thought, okay. well, that's cool. Like a creator or a company. Yeah. Wow, nice. Well, you know, we got to be worried because there's like a lot of here's a tip that could change your life. I'm not opening that. An eminent event is sending this stock, this stock price to the roof. No, this company found a cure for cancer. Their stock is flying. No. What? I well, these, these are the emails we get. We've got like 24 emails and it's all crap. I think we'll call it on, on that and say thanks again, Al, for coming on. And why don't you pimp your show one more time before we uh, close it out? Sure. And thanks again for having me. It's been fun. But yeah, the show is Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. And um, well, it's about Adam Warlock and Thanos. Kind of says so in the title. Go figure. Adam Thanos and Torlock. Uh, well, those, so, those as, was, as, as we do this, Al will be back with us next week, which you will have heard eight weeks ago. <laughs> At some point. But yeah, you can just type in Adam Warlock in, in iTunes and it pops up because there's really nothing else about Adam Warlock on iTunes. I think we have to do an Adam Warlock episode just so we pop up too. <laughs> yeah. Damn it! <laughs> you can't. We can't allow you to monopolize that market. I revealed my secret. <laughs> All right. I think uh, I'm ready to call it a night. And once again, thank you, and thank you, Doctor Bill, and good night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email 
at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. This is Pins!